Let's open our Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Thanks so much for being here around Community Church, and thank you so much for praying, Emmanuel. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. I want to, in some ways, continue with our study of the Sermon on the Mount, but then also, I also want to just exhort each of us, and especially the members and Joshua and Lydia of Round Community Church. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It's a verse I know many of you will know, many of you will have memorized, many of the kids will recognize it right away. There's lots of verses that could compete for life verses in the New Testament. This has got to be on uh, the short list of those verses that can really serve as guides uh, to our lives. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Hear these words. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. There's two things I want to point out to you in this passage. They're simple and you can see them just as soon as you read the verse. They give us the priority for every Christian life. And really they give us Christ's desire for every human heart. Every single human being, and all Christians know this, is to make the first and the primary objective of every moment of their life to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And since that can get you into a lot of trouble, Jesus follows it up with a promise. And all these things, and of course he's speaking about food and clothing and, uh, and all that we need for our daily lives, as he's been speaking about in the surrounding verses. He says, all these things will be added to you. You focus on following me. You focus on advancing my kingdom. I'll make sure you're fed and clothed. I'll make sure that you uh, will be provided for. I said to Pastor Joshua earlier this week, I'm gonna preach on God's priority and how he'll take care of you if you pursue that priority. So that sounds good to me. And that sounds good to all of us. We need to know that someone else is going to take care of us if we're gonna have the freedom to pursue an agenda that isn't always just self-seeking and trying to take care of ourselves. I wanna think with you briefly about four things that are entailed in seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What do you need to do? What do you need to be thinking about? How do you need to prioritize your life if you're going to think about, if you're going to seek first as the top priority the kingdom of God and his righteousness? The first thing you need to do if you're going to seek the kingdom of God is you need to know God. You need to think about God. 
There's a tendency, especially in a busy culture like ours, to read, seek first the kingdom of God, and to hear, get busy, do something. But the first thing we need to stop and go, stop and think about is, who is God? What difference does it make to stop and think about God? To seek first the kingdom of God means that we have to really reckon with whose kingdom it is. And we need to think about who God is, which means we need to think about theology, the study of God. Now, I've heard a lot of defenses over the course of my life of why theology matters, but I heard one of the best ones I've ever heard this week. I've been doing my devotions out of a little book uh, by Andrew Wilson. And uh, in this, uh, I believe the book is called Incomparable. And he just looks at the names of God and the attributes of God and the characteristics of God. In other words, he looks at theology. He looks at God. And he begins the book with a little story on why theology matters. And it struck me afresh as I read it exactly why it does. He says, theology matters to Panita. See, Panita is a 14-year-old woman who was taken from her home in Thailand to Malaysia by a sex trafficker. Once she arrived in this new city, she was told she would be sold five to 10 times a night. And if she refused, she'd be beaten and starved. She would be allowed to sleep from 5 a.m. to 3 p.m in a locked room where she wasn't even allowed to put her head out the window. And once she was told all of this, Panita sat on her bed waiting for that awful reality. Wilson continues by telling us that thousands of miles away, a group of lawyers and investigators had seen something of the character of God. They'd studied theology. And he writes, they had read Amos and the Psalms and Isaiah and encountered the God who champions the cause of orphans and widows and victims. Taking seriously God's anger at injustice and the biblical commands to set free, for the, set free the oppressed, they set up an organization that prosecuted child traffickers and freed sex slaves funded entirely by the charitable donations of others who had also gained revelation about the God of justice. Because of the work of the International Justice Mission, Panita never saw her first client. The night she was to begin her nightmare life, a raid was conducted by local police, and she, along with 94 other young women, was rescued. Because Christians on the other side of the world were studying the character of God. The God of justice, the God of mercy, the God of salt, the God of light, the God of eternal salvation. Joshua and Lydia, brothers and sisters of Round Community Church, there are lots of problems in this world. There are lots of problems in Appalachia. And the irony is when we see those problems, we begin to devalue the importance of just studying God. But the reality is that everyone who's ever made a difference that was pleasing to God in this world made that difference because they had come to know more and more of who God actually is. 
And so time thinking about God is never wasted time, even in a wicked world that seems to be advancing its wickedness all the time. So brother, I exhort you, teach your people about God who he is, what he's done. Don't ever let there be a Sunday that goes by where they don't learn something more about the reality and the character of God. And invariably, that teaching about God will not only result in the worship he desires, but it will result in in lives that are being sinned against and harmed and oppressed, being given mercy from Christians who are transformed by a vision of God. The second exhortation I would give you as you think about seeking first the kingdom of God is that it means you need to think a lot about Jesus. When Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God, we can't forget that in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of God is all bound up in the king. When we read those words, seek ye first the kingdom of God from Jesus' lips, we can't forget that for the first six chapters of Matthew so far, Matthew has been screaming at us, Jesus is the king. Remember Matthew chapter one? We have this long genealogy. Why do we have a genealogy? To say that Jesus is the son of David, the king. And then we're told when Jesus is born that he's Emmanuel, which means he's the king who is actually God with us. When we get into Matthew chapter two, we see magi from the nations gathering around him and bowing down because he is the king who will gather all the worship of the nations. And then in Matthew chapter four, Jesus opens his mouth and gives his first sermon and it's this, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, where I am, the kingdom is. And where I am, a turnaround is required. Where I am, repentance is needed. Where I am, faith is the only right response. When we think about seeking first the kingdom of God, you cannot separate that from Jesus because he's the king of the kingdom. And then you go on and read the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. And it's not just that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but that he's the one who's saying, I am the Son of Man, a royal title. And the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And you keep reading the Gospel of Matthew. And they put a crown of thorns on his head. And they make him die under a sign that says he claims to be the King of the Jews. And at every step, there's this irony that this one who's come as a king has come to die as a king. Beloved, the kingdom we serve is a kingdom that redeems sinners. Make no mistake about it. The kingdom we serve is a kingdom that is every bit as much for those women sold into sex slavery, but also for the men who are going to buy them. The kingdom we serve is a kingdom that extends grace to the worst sinners. Whether you're someone who's taking in pornography or making pornography, whether you're someone who's loving being lusted against or loving lusting, whether you're someone who has been put in the most oppressive situations or you're someone doing the oppression, Jesus Christ on the cross is declaring that there is a kingdom where all sinners can come to him and be saved. That's the message we preach. 
The message we preach is that there is a king who has come so that all sinners can be saved by his death on the cross. The next thing I would mention to you is that we are to seek his righteousness. Notice that? Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That means focus on God, focus on Jesus. But also his righteousness. Now Christians can get tripped up when they see the word righteousness in the Bible. And it's pretty normal that Christians get tripped up when they see the word righteousness in the Bible because the word righteousness can mean a lot of different things when you come across it in the Bible. Sometimes when we see the word righteousness in the Bible, it simply means the character of God, that he's, he's a righteous God. He's a God who cares about what is right and punishes what is wrong. Other times in the Bible, when we come across um, the word righteousness, it's really very precious to us, especially as Protestants, because as Martin Luther taught us, in the Bible there's a righteousness not only that God demands, but that he gives. Often in the Bible, especially in the book of Romans, we hear God talk about sinners who have no righteousness of their own, but God gives them his righteousness. We're covered in filthy rags. He clothes us in his righteousness so that we're protected from the wrath of God. But there's a third way the Bible talks about righteousness. And that's the righteousness, not that we have to produce so that we can be saved, but the righteousness that God works in us because we are saved. You see the distinction? There's a frantic kind of worrying and trying to live a righteous life so you can get to heaven. That doesn't honor God at all. In fact, it ruins everything because God is not pleased with anything that doesn't come from faith. That's not the righteousness we're talking about. But there's another righteousness that once you've been declared righteous, once you've been clothed in righteousness, once you've been declared righteous before God, he changes your heart so you actually want to live for him. Jesus is here telling us that that righteousness, the real, actual, lived out righteousness that we are called to is not something that will come automatically in your life. It will come inevitably because God's work, once it starts in a soul, always succeeds, but it does not come automatically. We're to seek it, and we're to seek it first. It's to be our top priority every day to seek first God's kingdom, which centers on God, and to seek first his righteousness. We are actually to pursue righteous characters. And where would we get our marching orders for righteousness? Well, the way some people talk these days, especially as they talk about cultural transformation, you would think that the primary place we're to look for our marching orders when it comes to righteousness is the law of Moses. And the law of Moses is holy, righteous, and good. Let me be like the Apostle Paul. I got nothing bad to say about the law of Moses. But a far brighter light has come into the world than the law of Moses. And we're staring right at it when we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, what have we seen when it comes to righteousness? 
we've seen that Jesus wants us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. We've seen that we're to have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees. It's not just external, but internal. That we're not even to lust, not even to hate, not even to just execute justice, but to love our enemies, to forgive those who've sinned against us. Beloved, if you've lived 10 seconds in this world, you've had extreme temptations towards bitterness, anger. It's easy to want justice rained down on the world. But that is not what Jesus is speaking about here when he says seek God's righteousness. He's talking about the fullness of Christ's character, which means loving enemies and forgiving sinners and forgiving those who have sinned against us. And that is something we are to pursue. Joshua, you are called in your preaching to spell out what Christ-likeness looks like. And then to follow the command of Paul to Titus, which says you are to declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. And you know what I love these days? As the world plunges itself more and more deeply into wicked living, it becomes more and more clear how beautiful the Christian life is. We're not, no preacher is being hard done by, by having to insist on the commandments of God. It's a joy to commit, to commend to God's people the best way to live, the way of honoring Christ in everything. Now let me close with one final comment. If you do that, the Bible tells us, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, the Bible tells us that you'll be hated, that you'll be persecuted, that you will be mocked, that you will shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, you'll be slandered. But the Bible also tells us one more thing, and it's this, you'll have everything you need. You'll have everything you need. It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, I'll just close with one personal illustration. My wife and I uh, packed everything we had about 22, 23 years ago into a horse trailer in southern Alberta, drove that horse trailer down to Montana, loaded everything up into a Penske truck, and drove here to Louisville, Kentucky. Two years later, because we were out of money to go to seminary, we wound up as the pastor, the pastor's wife of Emmanuel Baptist Church. And things were going good. We were paid $7,000 a year by the church and a parsonage, which where the church was at was very generous. I got no complaints. We worked a, I worked a second job as a maintenance man. Christy gave birth to our second, Luke, and then to James, and then to Jones. There was a tiny amount of people, there was a tiny amount of money, and there was a lot of needs. And I can tell you that two decades later, he has provided all the meals my kids needed, 
There's always been a roof over our head and we have been cared for. And it's been our goal, there's been lots of imperfections, lots of things I've had to confess to this congregation, lots of ways there's been failure. But it's been our heart's desire to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And he has given us everything we've needed all along the way. So don't lose your focus. Your father will take care of you. He will provide for you. And we trust that as he, as you seek him, he will bless the work. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and ask you that you would please pour out your spirit on us and on Round Community Church to be partners in the gospel for many years to come and to see your gospel spread to every hill and holler and really to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.